0: In today's episode of EDS at Union Now, we are launching a short series entitled "Margins Speak. Over the next few months, the Reverend Dr. Joshua Samuel, visiting lecturer on theology, global Christianity, and mission here at EDS at Union, will explore various ecological issues faced by people in the Global South. Covering topics such as colonialism, capitalism, and oppressive structures such as racism, patriarchy, and homophobia, We will hear how local theologians and faith leaders are responding to these crises and how they are working to resist the forces that cause environmental destruction. For our first episode of Margin Speak, Joshua Samuel interviews the Reverend Dr. Kuzipa Nalwamba, who is an ordained minister of the United Church of Zambia and serves as a project consultant for strategic planning at the Council for World Mission. She has a PhD in systematic theology from the University of Pretoria. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and help us spread the word by sharing the show with your friends. And with that, please enjoy our first episode of Margin Speak with Joshua Samuel.
1: Uh, Hello, Dr. Nalwamba. So nice to see you.
2: Thanks.
1: Can you just call me Kuzipa? Thank you so much. Thanks Mm -hmm. for agreeing to be a part of this. This is basically a platform for uh, hearing voices from the global south on ecological issues. So you are one of the conversation partners uh, from different places, from, you know, from India, from uh, Philippines, from uh, the oceanic region and so on and so forth. So, so creating this, this resource of voices from, you know, the global South is something important. And also to see the interconnections, interconnectedness between the ecological issues and the ecological movement, you know, across the world. So that's the mm-hmm. point. So uh, one of the first things that I would like to hear from you is about the ecological issues in your region itself. Uh, as you know, mm-hmm. there is a growing awareness about climate change and global warming across the world. But mm-hmm. I feel as someone from the Global South myself, uh, and somebody who is based in the West mm-hmm. at present, I feel that at times it becomes a universalizing discourse uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it becomes kind of a uniform discourse. Uh, you know, it just mm-hmm. puts everybody mm-hmm. along in the same place and, mm-hmm. and it assumes that, that it, it's the same. You know, the, the issues are pretty mm-hmm. much the same across the world. And which is why I believe that it is important to focus on particularities, uh, on specific mm-hmm. issues, you know, specific to particular regions uh, across sure. the world. So first I would like to hear from you about the state and the nature of environmental degradation in your global region.
2: Uh, there are major ones that have been pointed out and I think it's been variously um, indicated by some of the, you know, the global organizations, Greenpeace, Africa being one of them. Issues of climate change, you know, for instance, I think that has been highlighted. As we see extreme, you know, weather patterns and drought in many areas, uh, deforestation, mm-hmm. uh, water pollution uh, to do with big industry and mining in particular in the southern region, you know, including Zambia where I come from and South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, coal mining, and, you know, the related uh, pollution and and everything else. And nuclear waste is also a growing concern, because um, much as there is talk to, um, I mean, to use, I mean, green sources for energy, there's also an impetus for nuclear energy, as well as, you know, I mean, like, and that is promoted, you know, by you know, the wealthier nations, you know, trying to invest in nuclear uh, technologies and particularly electricity generation. And that is a a current conversation here in South Africa. It's also a conversation back home uh, in Zambia. Overfishing in the rivers and lakes is an issue. Uh, you know that is related to deprivation, but it's also commercializing of you know things like this because when uh, the farmers, okay, the fish, the fisher men, were uh, doing it at a subsistence level. You know, the overfishing, you know, was not uh, such a, a concern. And many countries were able to have, you know, seasonal bans that, you know, worked so that their fish could restock. But with the commercialization of fishing in many areas, you know, that has created a problem. Industrial agriculture is another, and that is related to not only feeding the countries, the respective countries that are concerned, but they are also the wealthier countries trying to grab as much land as possible to grow crops that they will then you know, uh, export to their own countries. Mm-hmm. So you cannot discuss uh, environmental degradation on the continent without talking about the neoliberal capitalist agenda, you know, which you know, much as the issues are specific, Mm -hmm. But, you know, they are globalized to the extent that they are linked to Mm -hmm. global capital and its uh, incursions into the, onto the continent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's increasing land grabbing tendencies that seems to accompany all this. Like when you think about deforestation, for instance, you know, to satisfy the need for timber, you know, uh, a a case in point would be in China, you know, Mm -hmm. so that is related to land grabbing. Mining in the same way, and you know, you can think of, of so many others. So the expansion of large-scale plantations, industrial logging, agribusiness, oil mining, and the infrastructure operations all impinge on the environment.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up because when we talk about global effects or uh, or influences of you know mm-hmm. ecolo- of the ecological crisis, uh, it's it's usually seen uh, as an international issue, you know, between nations. Mm-hmm. But I think you brought up a very important point that it is also intranational. It's actually between the countries, uh, and and, uh, and and at times one of the things that I sometimes notice is that uh, the elites, you know, uh, in the in the global south, uh, you know, in Africa and also in Asia, kind of uh, use that as a loophole. You know, the international. Uh, politics as a loophole to say that oh here we are you know from a from a global South country from a third world country and we would mm-hmm. like you know we should be given our space so uh, okay. but then using that loophole to basically exploit their own people you know their own community mm-hmm. and, and I think that is mm-hmm. something very important that mm-hmm. you brought out but just uh, to hear a little bit more from you so uh, in terms of uh, in terms of these you know international Uh, political dynamics you know Mm -hmm. that 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 marginalize and and exploit you know vulnerable people Mm -hmm. women and children Mm -hmm. what what is the maybe the percentage or like how does that actually pan out like how does that work out uh how how do those people who who are are dominant Mm -hmm. uh, how are they able to twist the policy or create the policies and how does politics play into this
2: well i think that you know, some of it has to do with the politically connected business people within the localities mm-hmm. who may, be, may actually be stakeholders Mm-hmm. in the transnational businesses, you know, that are present in the country. Mm-hmm. And in many countries where the institutions are not strong, the institution of, the institutions of governance are not strong, the politicians are, you know, like they benefit the most in that, you know, they would have businesses themselves or they will have cronies who would be running businesses uh, who would then benefit but I hesitate to actually, uh, uh, I mean, give a blanket statement as far as that is concerned. I think that, you know, that would have to be examined, you know, mm-hmm. country by country to actually have a realistic picture because I'm also uh, not wanting to paint the continents Black, as it were, you know, forgive the pan, uh, mm-hmm. because I think that there's enough negativity around that. Because there are some nations that are actually making a decent attempt, mm-hmm. and there are conversations and there's robust national dialogue between, you know, the governing elite as well as you know the non-governmental movement uh, regarding environmental issues and you know other concerns like that. But generally speaking, you know, I would offer that as you know the the grid you know through which to look at the issue of injustice. Mm-hmm. It has to start at the door of the politicians' mm-hmm. the patronage you know to business mm-hmm. and also um personal in some cases it must be it might be just be personal gain you know in which case it's just plain uh greed, mm-hmm. if we may call it by that mm-hmm. name
1: yeah. I'm I'm actually glad that you you were a little hesitant, you know, because there are always you know uh, different approaches or responses to the the, the, the political influences uh, on ecological mm. issues. Actually, just looking more closely, you know, at it, I I, I realize that uh, in spite mm. of the the power dynamics at play, you know, the the exploitative nature of our political institutions more often than not. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the few rich or as, uh, as they say in the US, the one person uh, who, mm-hmm. who use different schemes and uh, whatever it's at their disposal to, to make sure that they retain the privilege uh, and mm-hmm. continue to exploit the, the, the marginalized people. Uh, in spite of all this, we see that human communities always find ways to survive or find ways to counter these these oppressive dynamics. Uh, And I'm sure there is a lot going on in in, in Africa in general and especially in Zambia and in South Africa. Uh, Could you throw some light on that?
2: Um, Yes, I I think you're right to say that there's resilience uh, in communities and I think that resilience may well, regarding you know environmental degradation, maybe something that has been built over you know the course of history, mm-hmm. because even when uh, the harsh, uh, the harshness of the environment does not come from you know the factors that we have been talking about, there have been you know times in the past when you know uh, communities have had to deal with hardships regarding the environment, and they have built resilience mm-hmm. around that. And I think one, one, thing, one hopeful sign that I see is uh, people, and even at a scholarly level, returning to the life-affirming uh, uh, principles or, that are embedded within the worldview and the cosmologies you know, mm-hmm. of indigenous people, mm-hmm. uh, where we, are, we live in an enchanted world. Everything is alive and everything you know, has its own voice and its own right to exist which, you know, from a Christian perspective, you might say, is uh, providing a hermeneutical lens for mm. rereading scripture so mm. that we may have world-view uh, shaping theologies that can then, you know, uh, enhance, you know, that uh, quality, which, you know, I think we have not really read into, uh, you know, Christian scriptures, perhaps mm. for various re- historical reasons of how, you know, the Christian faith has developed. So that is something that I wish to highlight. And in terms of my own commitment to scholarship, that's something I'm trying to educate myself in and continue to as much as I can, you know, advance. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, there's also activism, you know, that's uh, shaped by, you know, the non-governmental movement uh, in various uh, spaces. So there's uh, advocacy to government you know, that I think we we have, uh, I mean, I have great respect for. There are people who uh, take very seriously, you know, for instance, where uh, there's deforestation, you know, there are plantive, uh, tree planting efforts, you know, that they are involved in, educating communities on how to organize themselves so that their voice will become politically significant mm-hmm. and that they can actually, you know, uh, speak truth to power and, you know, realize, you know, their, uh, their power, you know, when it, can, when it matters to the politicians. So resistance towards uh, land grabbing seems to be, you know, uh, built around, you know, those kinds of initiatives. And during election cycles, I think I have seen, you know, both uh, here and and in Zambia as well, there will be, it's still a very small uh, movement and the wave is not as strong, but there are NGOs that um, mobilize voters around environmental issues. And so political action, you know, targeting environmental concerns uh, is a very powerful way, you know, because people... I mean, I'm beginning to feel these things. And so when they are pointed out and they are directly related to the power of the people to choose who is going to represent them, it becomes an important way of, you know, making that marginalized voice, you know, come to the fore.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
2: find that critical. Mm-hmm.
1: That's that's excellent. That's great. Um, that's uh, really uh, important. Uh, uh, but I would actually like to go back to uh, uh, you know your, uh, uh, your your point about uh, the the importance of going back in some sense to the the worldview of the communities themselves or the indigenous worldviews of the communities themselves, and uh, and I and as you said your own theological uh, scholarship. Uh, is based on that and you have been working on that. And uh, And I was fascinated uh, by one of your articles uh, where you talk about uh, Mupasi. I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm saying it correctly. Uh, you yes. know, the, the spirit, the, the, yes. the spirit. It, yeah, yeah. The, the cosmic mm-hmm. spirit, you know, the seamless inseparable bond that makes reality mm-hmm. one whole and leads, uh, lends kinship to all creatures. Uh, mm-hmm. And you use that to to suggest that we could reimagine or reconceive the universe as a cosmic community, as an interrelated cosmic community, which I found very powerful. Uh, could, could you say more on that, your, your own you know, theological lens and theological work uh, that you have been working on?
2: Well, I, in, a, in a sense, I'm just starting out. My theological formation, let me just give that background as a bit of a disclaimer, was actually in Asia. I'm trained, uh, my first two theology degrees uh, were obtained in Singapore. So I, I came to African theology much later in my theological journey. And so I made um, a deliberate um, uh, decision to educate myself, and I cannot say that the journey is even halfway through. The PhD, I think, was the boldest attempt, and every time I read it, I cringe. I look at some of the things that I I purport in that you know piece of work. And I, you know, I'm a little, I, I need to take a few steps back before I can move uh, forward. But I can just, you know, like maybe in a, uh, advance, you know, just that very thing that you highlight. I find, even though I grew up, you know, uh, on the continent and I grew up with stories, you know, from my grandparents, especially about, you know, rivers being alive, lakes being sacred animals and human beings alike, you know, uh, being able to talk even, you know, like in the fables. And the sky is being able to talk back when uh, offended and that sort of thing. You know, like those were things that you were taught. But I did not make the connection intellectually until more recently. And I feel that for many people who have received a Western education like I have, even though, you know, like you might have that as you know embedded in your mm, i mean like maybe your your layered uh you know psyche it may not be you know something that you know lends itself you know to when you actually are employing critical thinking Mm -hmm. and so even when i say it as an intervention i wonder you know like to what extent is it actually alive among us because you know there's there's the pragmatic side of life you know where you know, we just want to get on and we just want to survive. And so when you talk about worldview shaping, it sounds to me like we are trying to fix the vehicle as it is moving mm-hmm. and there's no stopping it. And so there's, you cannot retreat and go all the way back. But I think I feel, I find myself feeling hopeful that we, even if we do not go back to those uh, days, we can retrieve values And I think the value of interconnectedness is a relevant one because I think that uh, the very ecological crisis, I think, has come as a reminder of how interconnected we are. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a very powerful thing to then say that the very, if if threat, you know, can show us how interconnected we are, then I think there might have been value in emphasizing that interconnectedness. And so in Uh, our constructive efforts we need to really look at it and see you know uh, what it can offer us and so I am I continue to think through how you know these can actually you know happen and especially starting from at a very young age so when I think of myself as a pastor I tend to think that, you know, the Sunday school should be the place where we begin to revive, you know, the storytelling tradition Mm -hmm. in a way, you know, that kids can actually catch on. Mm -hmm. I do not know how that will work out, but I think a shaping of a theology, you Mm -hmm. know, has to start at a very mundane, very everyday, you know, uh, level of uh, storytelling and raising minds that are keenly aware of, you know, the surroundings. So that's a long-winded way of saying I do believe, you know, interconnected and relational epistemologies. is, I think, very important in how we do eco-theology, certainly on our continent. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think we don't need to dig very deep to mm-hmm. get to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very interesting because I think uh, uh, one of the, I, I don't like to use this word, but newer trends in, uh, in, in ecological discourses is this mm-hmm. growing awareness of, planetary solidarity, uh, and uh, precisely the interconnectedness of all, you know, creatures and the whole universe, in fact. And and I guess different traditions and different perspectives have have, have started coming up. And and many of these uh, voices actually, as you are doing, go back uh, to retrieve the the values of the the ancient wisdom, of the ancient religious traditions. And and I want to come back to that. Uh, You how how we can implement it and, and the, some of the struggles that we face, um, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to give you you know uh, some time to just talk mm-hmm. about one of your works you know to uh, maybe your one of your articles or maybe your 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 your, your dissertation you know just mm-hmm. just give us an idea about one one scholarly work that you've uh, that you've done uh, you know on this subject. Okay.
2: I would, I would, I would go to the very one on the concept of spirit. You know that uh, I mean the spirit in cosmic view. I think is one of the exciting things that you know I have um, I have engaged with in my in uh, in my research, and I have been uh, very uh, pleasantly surprised not because it is new, but because it's new to me that uh, there are many things that, uh, I mean, we believed within the African uh, tradition and also African traditional religions that coincide with uh, the teaching of scripture about spirit, uh, with its cosmic nature, which is why in my title, I use the small letter S and the capital letter Mm -hmm. S to talk mm-hmm. about uh, spirit, you know that juxtaposition is very important to me, and partly because um, uh, missionary uh, religion or missionary Christianity very often, you know, put a disjuncture between uh, tr- African traditional beliefs and the Christian faith to the point that, you know, the dialogue has not been uh, very strong. So in terms of uh, my attempts, I seek to try and, uh, you know, locate my work within, um, you know, interreligious uh, uh, dialogue mm-hmm. and within my PhD thesis i that's how I brought in you know African traditional belief because African culture really you cannot uh, tease apart culture and religion it's one and the same thing this you know, it's on a continuum and I also attempted to borrow from you know science you know some of the concepts within you know scientific endeavor because now science is beginning to talk uh, in pneumatological terms you know, about, you know, certain things and to see how, you know, that, you know, actually uh, makes uh, understanding of spirit as the connector then, you know, in terms of, you know, the whole that we are talking about. And so, you know, that I think to me has been, uh, you know, a very important uh, dimension. So when we talk community, we talk inclusivity, Mm -hmm. you know, within, you know, the African tradition, it was the life principle that actually brought everything together. So because ontologically we come from a single source, Mm -hmm. uh, we identify with each other. And within, you know, in biblical parlance, you would say that at creation, God breathes uh, God's spirit, you know, in creation and so there isn't one spirit for the earth, one spirit for the plants, one spirit for the human it's god's spirit you know uh bringing everything to life and so cosmically speaking, we are therefore you know one family, and that is you know uh where we draw the ethic you know for earth care mm-hmm. because uh I mean we actually the earth might survive better than we can you know without we can, the earth will survive without us the other way around you know is uh is, is a challenge.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's helpful. I mean, I just wanted to hear your, your work in a broad, broader sense. So I
2: really, I re- yeah, so I really do believe in interdisciplinary research mm-hmm. as well as interfaith you know, spheres you know, to deepen and broaden the scope of theological inquiry. Mm-hmm. And uh, more recently, um, I'm talking with one of the professors at the University of Pretoria who shares my passion for literature. And we are trying to see how we can recover some of these ideas through the literary works, you know, that have, you know, have been done and how, uh, through that, we can then, you know, have a dialogue with uh, uh, the social sciences mm-hmm. as well as, you know, um, you know that, the, the literary world of, you know, uh, within the university, you know, set uh,
1: That's, that's, Great. Uh, actually, I would like to come back to that uh, before we yeah. close, but I uh, just wanted to hear a little bit more about your, uh, which you already mentioned, your calling as a pastor, Ooh, not sure. just as a scholar, as a, you know, as an academic, Ooh. which you are. Ooh. And and you mentioned about the struggle in some sense to Ooh. teach, you know, the values of Ooh. Uh, you know of our ancestors but also the values of the earth itself uh,
2: you
1: know or uh, earth honoring values uh to children and and to yeah. to to start at a simple basic level and in you would have definitely encountered many of these things you know in your ministry uh how has the has the church responded to the ecological crisis i mean we we looked at it from different perspectives and different uh, yeah. in different areas but what is mm-hmm. the response of the church itself? And, and, and the church, I, I mean, the institutional church. What, how is it struggling? Uh, so, mm-hmm. can, you, can you say a little bit on, about that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Within the region, I would say the Anglicans are, re- are leading the way <laughs> through the... The Green Anglican Movement is very, is very visible. And uh, I have participated in a number of uh, their uh, efforts. As well as, you know, co-published uh, a book that we hope is going to become a manual for churches as well as, you know, theological uh, educators. That you know does not just, um, you know, conceptualize, but also uh, boils, you know, it down. It's a workbook, so to speak. You know that can actually recommend, you know, uh, particular efforts that local churches can can be involved in. It was published in uh, in 20. 16. Mm -hmm. The focus on young people as a driving force has also been uh, very commendable, and that is true of the the Green Anglicans and other, uh, you know, church-based or faith-based, I I must call them, uh, or organizations that are involved uh, with uh, environmental issues. So because the youth are you know, uh, they are very techno savvy and social media savvy. The message uh, goes out, you know, in in very creative ways, and you know has a reach that you know, one pulpit you know may not may not have. And also, I think, among the young people, though I cannot think of a particular project that is located within a congregation, but the use of technology for alternative you know, ways of perhaps using energy and all that. So innovation you know, uh, is, an, is a youth-led uh, endeavor. And I think that many cases, you know, the, the church-based organizations that advance uh, a green agenda uh, an inspiration you know to these uh, young entrepreneurs who are involved in you know uh, generating green energy for instance the eco congregation movement you know has come via the west you know to some uh, of particularly here in south africa and it's been it's been quite strong so that has you know has uh, its value but interfaith action, for me, I think, has been one of the most uh, mm-hmm. exciting uh, things. So, for instance, here in uh, in the region, region uh, being Southern Africa or the SADC region, there's what is called the South African the Southern African Faith Communities Environment, Environment Institute, SafSA in short. It holds people's learning festivals, for instance, you know, to uh, to bring awareness and it's grassroots education, and that is uh, very exciting. But I have to say it doesn't have much of a take uh, at congregation level because I think many of our churches are already busy. The schedules in our churches can be quite full. And so when something is introduced as a new program and it's not integrated in what's, what already exists, there's always you know, the... Uh, the expediency of trying to do what needs to be done right away right here without you know consideration for building you know those initiatives slowly yeah so um those are some of the you know the things the world council of churches um uh, member churches in on the continent have been have been involved and it's a wcc inspired effort through the ecumenical water network uh in 20 20- 17 I participated in a school what they call the eco school uh, that brought young people continent-wide for a training uh, in um, in Environmental care uh, in Malawi and that was uh, for a period of two weeks What I found fascinating about the young people that were brought together was their energy but also the fact that they were not coming to this learning with as a blank slate mm. many of them were activists already who are involved either through their the ngos in their countries or they themselves are founders of you know organizations or have platforms where they are engaged and some of them are church uh, based and so that uh, forum for me represented an energy that i hope that we can continue to capitalize on I am in touch constantly with a young man who participated from my own local church and who studied at the theological college where I was teaching before I came to live here. And I am so excited by, you know, what he has begun to do. He's based in a rural uh, congregation. It's one story that I hope represents a ripple of what we could see, you know, through uh, the young uh, generation and their energy. So I feel like I'm living vicariously, you know, through his ministry to actually realize the very thing that I was saying is difficult to do. He's got, you know, the energy, the youthful energy. And I think the maybe optimism that an older person like myself may not have. And so he's able to engage and, you know, his work is actually being uh, acknowledged. And I think that that is true, you know, of all the others. And they have continued to uh, build a platform where they connect with each other virtually, you know, to encourage one another. So for me, those may not represent denominations in an institutional sense, but organically I see that something is happening and all that we need is to actually have, um, ways of activating and also building community around these efforts for that to continue to happen
1: wow that is exciting that's very exciting and very promising Uh, and that actually you know that fits perfectly with my next question and probably my final Mm -hmm. question the brilliant theological Uh, scholarship, you know, you and many others are engaged in uh, reviving and and reconnecting with the the African indigenous religious traditions and worldviews, and uh, and also the work that's happening in the church uh, itself. So kind of putting those together, uh, I'm looking at the church, the Episcopal church in particular, but also the church in general in America, and also the theological institutions in America uh, and Mm. across the world. And then in America, the Episcopal Church uh, is kind of at the forefront, along with many others uh, in, in leading you know the the ecological movement and uh, and one of the primary commitments of the presiding bishop uh, Bishop michael Curry probably heard of yes, yes of course
2: I mean, yes, he, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is of the of the royal wedding fame yes <laughs> yeah so one of his main concerns
1: uh, is is actually environmental justice so that is right at the forefront of the 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 ministry of the episcopal church so uh, as a theologian as a pastor as a church leader as a faith leader, faith community leader from the global South, from, from, from Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, what mm-hmm. would you say? What would you like, let's say the church in America, the theological, uh, institutions in like EDS at union in America, mm-hmm. uh, to learn, to know, or to grow, uh, what, what would, would you like to say?
2: Uh, First of all is to grow the conversation to start with. And to that extent, I think there has been uh, a number of efforts. I have participated in two publications so far that involved scholars from both, you know, the global north and global south. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, uh, one title is called The Church in God's Household. Mm -hmm. And the the co-editors, one was from South Africa, the other one from Australia. Mm -hmm. And so it is, as you can, you know, like it's, uh, the the oikos theology, mm-hmm. you know, the household of God being the entire uh, the cosmos. So conversations like that are very important for cross pollination. I think that when we talk about community and the interconnectedness that we were earlier referring to, I think uh, kinship, you know, is very important. And I think uh, not just that we have conversations with each other, but we also model it. You know, because and I think in, in working together, you know, to raise a concern that is a global concern uh, with one voice, despite you know, being located in different places, it's a grounding principle for Christian unity. But it also entails that the church is participating together in the mission of God. And I think at a faith level, you know, that is supposed to be really our motivation to start with. You know, we have played around ecumenically with words like koinonia over the years. And I think in this age of ecological crisis, we are being called upon not just to tease out what its meaning is, but it's to live it out. And I think that can be at scholarship level, but also at a church, you know, interchange level, whatever the connections, you know, are, and to also look for new ones. But also, I think that um, the church in America, for instance, should see itself as part of the problem, the bigger problem in terms of contributing. Uh, to, so the complicity to uh, environmental degradation is something that I think should be taught as a justice issue. And so for people who are invested in living justly, you know, is to think when we do our liturgies on Sunday and we invoke the justice of God, it's how am I living at a personal level? How are we living at a community level? How are we, you know, living, you know, with the setups, the various setups within our nations, you know, uh, in relation to those, the least of this, you know, in, on, the, on the globe. And I think that, you know, that's, that's an important uh, element. And that's an important uh, intersection point in terms of the conversation that needs to be had. Recently, again, I participated in a writing project, uh, it's called a companion to Christian, to Christian theology and climate change. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, so the, the, the scholars that are based in the north, uh, you know, uh, wrote about you know their own engagement with environmental issues in their context. And I personally was responding to uh, someone who is located in the Catholic tradition. Her name is Erin Loth, and she, I mean, she spoke about you know the uh, the dissonance that is there within America itself regarding the environmental question, and within the Catholic Church itself, and how you know there's so much wrestling there that you know you could actually not have you know the time to look you know beyond just what needs to be you know uh, the conversation that needs to be had internally in those spheres, mm. and so that kind of exchange, to my mind. You know, is a way of probing one another to have a broader uh, reach in terms of how even if we can't do anything yet, our thinking needs to be much broader, you know, uh, to affect uh, something else. So acknowledging, you know, the West acknowledging its place in the cosmic communion that we were talking about it must uh, think of the common ills as well as the potential common good, you know, that we can achieve uh, together. And that could emanate from, you know, having uh, meaningful dialogue and so the global voices, you know, being brought uh, together. And I think that's where, you know, what Africa has to contribute in terms of its voice, in terms of its cultural infrastructure and wealth you know, must be taken seriously as a lens through which uh, you know we can continue to build you know this voice because ultimately it's our voice collectively together, not a blame game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That much.
1: Perfect. Beautiful. Beautifully put. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of one of my responsibilities uh, uh, mm-hmm. at EDS at Union and as a mm-hmm. uh, theologian from the global south is is precisely to to push the church in the west and the theological institutions to realize which which you pointed out you know the, the interconnectedness you know the fact that we are uh, you know a one community uh, one global community but also be truthful to ourselves and acknowledge our own place in this sure. uh, in this scheme of things if you will sure. uh, and and i think problem, sometimes that that's actually the difficult part uh, especially for the church to face Uh, And sometimes it needs voices uh, like yours, uh, you know, to, to, to challenge and to show that, that, and, and, and to realize that some of the issues the American churches or the American uh, society itself is struggling with, it, it sometimes looks like it's it's as if uh, an intranational issue And, 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 and it certainly is, but often it is also connected to what is happening globally. Uh, you That's know true. the the the, the ultra conservative tendencies uh in you know, the yes. denial of climate change, uh, change. you know uh, and, and upholding patriarchy and homophobia Ooh. and all these things are, are not simply you know oh this are these are national things these are actually connected with with neocolonialism and know and and, and and the capitalistic policies and, and it, it's much broader at times, you know, uh, than we imagine or we want to know. Uh, but I'm so grateful, you know, for voices like yours that, that pose this challenge, uh, not just to, and as you rightly said, not just to make it as a blame game, you know, just to blame yeah. the Western countries uh, or, you know, blame others, but to realize that we are part of this network. Uh, acknowledgement of the, the, the international politics within Africa itself. I think that real, that is also important. That it's it's not something that's happening elsewhere and and it's being imposed on us from outside. But it's it, it's, it's much more complicated than that. That's so important. Your voice is so important, uh, Dr. Nalwamba, Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for these these thought-provoking and challenging and, and, and inspiring contribution and 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 uh, for this great conversation.